This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. Listen to the Labor and Energy Show and get educated from expert guests about climate change. What they say and who they are will surprise you. Presented by PBF Energy, Neuter Construction, and Furness Electrical Contractors. The Labor and Energy Show, this Sunday night at 6. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this, too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Welcome into this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. We thank everybody for tuning in. It's another week with J. Doc and Krause as we continue to attempt to educate the listening audience and change the narrative. This is the Labor and Energy Show. I've got a great show lined up for you and a great interview scheduled for the full 60 minutes. I throw it over to my partner, J-Doc. J-Doc, all yours, brother. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, we've got a fantastic broadcast. I'm going to welcome everybody into the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Uh, lots to talk about. As, as you know, the, the, the goal of the show every week is to better educate our general public, our labor community, and our political leaders in layman's terms, okay? Uh, in common sense and energy, we talk about the facts, the realities of energy in America in order to change the narrative. Okay, we get the opportunity to have exclusive discussions with our energy industry's top executives and representatives, and we will help that at our conversations will help educate and inform our listeners on the things they only thought they knew. And of course, uh, this week's show is no exception. I'm ecstatic to bring into the broadcast Kathy Reheis Boyd, who's the president and the CEO of the Western States Petroleum Association uh, at what WUSPA, uh, if I'm getting that right, Kathy, uh, you got it. I, I want to welcome you to the broadcast. Thank you, Joe. It's great to be here. Well, if, if you would, uh, let's start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself uh, and your background and role as president of WUSPA. Great. Thank you so much. Well, I've been with WUSPA for over 33 years and in the industry over 40 years. And my background is very strong in the environmental area. My degree is in natural resource management, and I've been through uh, certainly multiple environmental consulting firms over my career and then settled in the oil and gas industry um, and love the environmental and energy interface. That's my expertise and, and love it and always have and still do. 
took over president in 2016, so been in the leadership role for, for a bit now. And I've got a great team of, of individuals who support all of our efforts. And I could talk a little bit about WISPA itself. And, and you know, it finds me, uh, it's, it's amazing because um, you talk about your, your, your experience in the environmental areas. And when, when you listen to the narrative in America today, you would think that our energy sector and our traditional energy resources and all of our representatives would be anti-environment, okay? And one of the things that we like to talk about on this broadcast and our experience since we started this particular show over a year ago has been uh, quite the contrary. Uh, we've not met anybody who has been more passionate about our environment uh, as much as our labor, as, as much as our energy leadership. And so um, that's fantastic. Uh, and, 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 and having said that, let's talk about your members, if you will. Who are they? What do they do? Yeah, and, and Joe, just to comment on your comment, I c- couldn't agree with you more. And we are so we have so much more to talk about. We're more united than we are divided. Oh, yeah. And it, it has been very frustrating for me um, over the past uh, ten years to see the dialogue and the narrative and what it's become because it's it's just one un- unfortunate, untrue, extremely frustrating. And we've got a lot of we got a lot of work to do together. And so. Um, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I think, you know, I am the eternal optimist, so I always believe there's opportunity, sure. but certainly the challenges, as, as you've noted, are, are tremendous. So, you know, a little bit about WISPA. We've, we um, uh, trade association, nonprofit trade association, and we represent about 15 companies that account for really the bulk of petroleum and exploration, production, refining, transportation, and marketing um, in five Western states. So everything from getting oil out of the ground to getting it to market in Arizona, California, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. We're headquartered here in Sacramento, California, and I have additional locations that have offices um, in Torrance, Southern California, Concord, which is the Bay Area of California, Ventura on the coast, Bakersfield in the Central Valley, and then certainly up in Washington State where we have a very strong refining presence as well. And so it's interesting because um, one of the things, and we're going to get into the jobs and the careers that um, your members offer. Okay. But before we do, we've already touched on it. Um, one of the things, so, 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 you know, we, we do the labor show in Philadelphia. Okay. We have a number of, of, of our, our unions uh, that are heavily involved in our, in our refineries, in our energy sector. And, uh, one of the things that we we've learned so much over the last year, we, we you know, we've, we talked about the, um, you know, the, the, the priority of our traditional, energy resources, but I want to just, uh, you know, talk about the jobs and the careers that your members, uh, you know, it, it offer and employ. If you would kind of shed some light on that uh, and, and, and include, if you would, you know, when we talk about careers and jobs, um, you know, the types of jobs uh, we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And what a, what a great point to bring up, right? Because it's all about our people. Right. It's the people that work in this industry that really are dedicated and passionate about doing what? Providing reliable, affordable energy to everyone, everywhere, all the time. It's a pretty meritorious goal um, of all of the folks that work in this industry. And to your point, we employ people that have a high school education all the way up through those that have a master's. We employ those that went to trade school versus a four year university. 
Our average salaries are by far way above the nation's average salaries in any sector that you look at. So we provide good jobs that have, you know, allow families and communities to, to take care of, of everything that's important to them, whether to putting a, a roof over their head or paying for medical expenses or just, you know, having a good life. And, and they do that with passion while they're supplying the energy that everybody needs. And I always say to the media, you know, everybody wakes up every day. Hopefully we wake up every day and we uh, expect to do three things, right? We expect to turn our lights on. We expect to heat and cool our homes and we expect to drive from A to B affordably and cleanly. And that's what this industry does. And that's what everybody who works in this industry does. And so that's why I get frustrated with the political rhetoric sometimes that we hear when our, our industry is really providing a, a, a huge benefit and quality of life to the communities and, and society that, that we serve. Yeah, and, and, and having said that, uh, when we talk about I would just want to cover some uh, check boxes here because we're going to talk about a lot of uh, you know, issues in, in regards to politics and, and, and what's going on in California that in, ver- in so many ways is impacting our entire nation. Uh, and, and, and so... Uh, we talk about safety standards uh, in, 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 in uh, you know, in regards to your members and, and, and their workforce. Talk about the importance. And by the way, the surrounding communities. OK, yeah. you, you talk about refineries. I'll give you a little background on our side. Uh, Joe Krause, like I mentioned earlier, we, you know, the two of us have done uh, the labor show in Philadelphia. Uh, for the last nine years, okay, we've we've deal with a lot of uh, workforce issues and all kinds of stuff, and um, we take a positive approach and 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 uh, all those things. A couple years ago, PES Refinery, South Philadelphia, uh, there's a fire, 33 units, one unit was on fire, and it was so it, the it, it was addressed so uh, efficiently that n- not one injury occurred, and uh, but still. Uh, they were in the process of potentially shutting the PES refinery down and ultimately did. We had the opportunity to bring on a lot of those workers. And it was, that was our first array in, in, a, in, in a sense, um, a, a twilight zone esque situation because um, one, 32 units up and running one down, they shut the whole thing down. And when we went to get our political leaders, who typically we have a great relationship with, involved, the issue, uh, it it was crickets. And when we delved into it further, um, we realized that there was an environmental movement that was speaking louder than everybody else and was controlling the narrative. And so it was at that point that we delved into the entire situation. And we heard things like safety when it comes to the refinery inside and and then we checked on it ourselves. The safety records were unbelievable. By the way, a lot of the workforce in that refinery lived in the community and decades and decades and decades. And so one of the things, but those are some of the, uh, you know, that's some of the stereotypical uh, stuff that was being thrown at the community. Talk about the safety standards of your members. Yeah. And, and you know, both for their workers, like I said, and with the surrounding communities. Yeah, thank you, Joe. And you hit a lot of good points there that I'll just, uh, you know, expand upon. Um, Safety first, right? That's the mantra of our industry. There's nothing more important than safety. Um, Environmental is probably right up there, but safety first for not only workers inside our facilities, but also the surrounding community. And in 
our Western states, California in particular, the requirements um, that are very meritorious and placed upon our refiners and our production facilities as well, um, are there for that main purpose, for safety, whether it's a communications, whether it's a collaboration, whether it's uh, bringing communities in at community advisory committees to talk through issues of concern, whether it's fence line monitoring, which we have you know, very, very stringent regulations around fence line monitoring, reporting, notification. It's all about relationships with your communities, with your workers, and then communication as, you know, unfortunate, you know, things do happen in a refinery or production facility, obviously in any kind of industry or manufacturing. And so you got to be prepared for that and um, definitely do everything possible in your process. You know, we have process safety management procedures to make sure that that those things are minimized to the greatest extent possible. So, yeah, to your point, it, it, it is the, the main focus. Um, and I can tell you they, that our industry takes that extremely seriously. And so, and, yeah. And it, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm go sorry. Ahead, Joe. No, I, I was going to say, uh, you know, having uh, worked in a refinery when I was an iron worker here uh, decades ago, uh, Sun Oil down here, uh, it was safety first. We always had a, uh, a mantra, one hand for yourself, one hand for the company. Uh, but it was an, the number one priority. And like you said, when it comes to industrial sites, um, obviously there's a higher risk. And so there's always a higher alert. And so, but it's always something that people, when you, when, when, when you, when you, it's a, it's a part of the narrative that the public doesn't understand. And um, it's, it's important for them to understand that. And when we talk about environmental standards, um, you obviously, like I said at the beginning of the broadcast, and your environmental background is so impressive, okay? And it's indicative of a lot of the leaders in our energy industry. And so it's been a great journey for us, okay? And, we, and, and to share that with the general public. By the way, when we talk about the narrative being controlled, what's interesting about it is it's being controlled so much by an extreme element that regular people, like our family members, on a daily basis – they're just not hearing the common sense part. They're only hearing one side. So when we talk about this and we talk about the environmental standards, talk about how high they are in, 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 in regards to our traditional energy companies um, and, 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 and what, you know, are, are your, you know, your members, for example, um, what standards they comply with every day. Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly a lot of those are, are in the process safety management area, as we just discussed, but they're also in the environmental area. We have very, um, uh, you know, the leadership of California is uh, has very aggressive goals relative to the environment and climate. And many of them, of course, we've supported over the years and have worked through those with them. But a lot of these goals are, 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 are there for a reason. And what I continue to try to work towards is trying to find practicality and uh, I call it an energy reality conversation sure. as we look at these goals. I mean, they could be climate goals like 40% below 1990 levels by 2030 or 85% by 2045. We have goals of carbon neutrality by 2045, which I can get into. And then, of course, you've heard much about the cap and trade program and low carbon fuel standard. And then uh, we have 34 air districts in the state of California alone that regulate every refiner, every production facility. So we have, you know, local controls and state controls and, of course, the federal overlay. So, um, there are 
uh, I think, a tremendous amount of regulations in place uh, uh, with our industry. And again, we don't we don't. We, those are all meritorious, right? We they're there there for a reason, and we work with our regulators and our government, our legislature, on how to make sure that they are practical and economical and workable, right? They have to be feasible. So um, that just gives you a sense that we are. We have many many um, agencies that regulate us, but we have many individual regulations in the climate change space and the environmental space as well. And so having said that, talk about our standards and compared to, um, you know, overseas, you know, our, our overseas counterparts who obviously where where a lot of our imports are coming from, OK, that we cannot control. How are our standards in comparison to a lot of those um, that we deal with with our imports? I would say night and day. Um, one of the things we continue to hammer home here in on the West is that we have an isolated market here on the West, especially in California. There are no pipelines that bring crude oil or refined product to the state. So we either have to refine and produce it here or it has to come from somewhere else. And for the most part, the places that it comes from, the foreign imports, do not have the standards that we have. And so as we look at these plans, these great energy plans that uh, our states have in place are considering, we continue to remind them that you cannot, on one hand, be for reducing climate change and reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and then be supporting foreign imports um, over the regulatory environment we have here in the state, which far exceeds anything they're doing in, in foreign lands. And so it, it's a bit of a hypocrisy to continue sure. to push for foreign imports when their environmental standards are nowhere near what we have in the U.S. or in, or in the West. Yeah, I, I, that is almost twilight zone. I think the U.S. is only 13 percent of the world's carbon footprint. OK, and, and we're dealing with uh, India and China, not to mention Russia, and their increases are more than ours are on an annual basis. Yeah. And and, to, and for the, the state, oh, Joe, for the state of California, we are less than one percent of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. And so Incredible. the amount of economic harm we have brought upon ourselves so that we can claim we're leaders is astronomical. Mm -hmm. We have the highest oh, yeah. natural gas prices, the highest electricity prices, the highest gas prices, the highest energy costs. And, and it's all because of the amount of regula regulations we have placed upon ourselves so that we can say we're leaders. And what we continue to try to hammer home is that to be leaders, people have to follow. And so let's put reasonable and practical policies in place that do achieve the goals that we all want, but don't do it in a way that tanks the economy. I mean, it's it's just incredible as, as I have these conversations, we can meet the state's goals, even as aggressive as they are, we just have to meet them with a diversified portfolio and all of the above energy strategy, not pure electrification, which I know I'm sure we'll touch on later. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting. We do a, a segment on the show called uh, Did You Know? OK. And it's uh, about public opinion. And uh, what, obviously, you know, uh, there is 5000 over 5000 products we use on a daily basis consist of petrochemicals, including uh, many of our renewables. OK. And and at the end, how much uh, do you think a lot of these and I and I'm going to throw our political leaders and our legislators uh, on board. How much? How many? How much of, of 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 public opinion 
And a lot of these policies uh, coming through, uh, you know, our state legislators and, and our and our and our uh, uh, federal leg- legislators are, are because of a lack of knowledge or understanding or even having a clue in regards to the the needs uh, and the benefits and the role that our traditional energy resources um, actually play in our, our living our everyday lives. I guess I guess what I'm saying is how much. Uh, of that that depends on or, or is a result of people not understanding reality. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit it, Joe. And, and, you know, we do take responsibility for that as well, right? I mean, I sure. think right now we are doing much more education than we've ever done on these topics uh, because it's absolutely necessary. You pointed to the vacuum of knowledge that is there. And, you know, you and I and others live and breathe this every day, but the normal folks don't, right? I mean, these are all things they hear on the media or maybe they read about them, but they don't really know the ins and outs as we do. And so it behooves us to do things like this uh, that we're doing right now. But also we spend so much time in our local communities, also in the legislature, in the governor's office, to bring light on the facts around what is happening and how we have to proceed, not cautiously so that we ignore the goals, but cautiously so that we do not have un unintended consequences because we either don't know or we haven't thought about it, right? We haven't Uh, thought about it. Absolutely. And let me just jump in there for a second, Kathy, because, and I want to let our listeners remind our listeners that, that, that uh, they're listening to the labor and energy show. uh, And and our guest is Kathy Reheis Boyd. And it's so interesting that you bring that conversation up. The actual existence of this, this broadcast, okay. is about taking the narrative back, but also um, it's about, um, the PR battle and the communication gap, which has been a major problem. Okay, uh, one of the issues that 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 we've talked about a lot of is is needing better communications between our traditional energy industry and the public. It, there's a, a language gap because a lot of this stuff is incredibly uh, complicated. You talk about RINs uh, and the RFS and a lot of those things that are going to impact uh, lives every day. And, you know, on a national level, but let's also talk about what's going on statewide, trying to bridge the gap in a communication, educating the public, because they're only hearing, uh, you know, I think I, I talked to the Brendan Williams and, and, and uh, he was talking to John Boehner one time and, and John Boehner said, well, Pelosi brings in, 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 in uh, a bunch of activists that say save the whales and everybody jumps up and down and the, 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 you need to have a master's degree to understand traditional energy. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're trying to bridge that gap in order to um, educate people so they can make informed decisions and create informed um, uh, uh, opinions on energy and the future of energy in, in America. And that includes politicians. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think you hit it again, Joe, that the education piece of this are, is huge. And, and I always start with just, just to ground people on the enormity of this issue in a state like California. We're the third largest gasoline market in the world. And the only, the only larger gasoline market than the state of California is the United States of America and China. So you think wow. about that, that, you know, we've got 40 million people who live here that have 36 million internal combustion engines, and those continue to, to grow. And we, you know, we produce 35 million gallons of gasoline a day, 
a million gallons of jet fuel, 36. I mean, we just consume 7 million gallons of diesel daily. The, it's just enormous. And so when you start a conversation with the legislature or a community, it is good to just say, let's talk about how large this issue is. And if we were to stop doing any of that tomorrow, the economy would stop dead in its tracks. And Absolutely. So, yeah. So then you talk about, OK, so that's not going to happen. But what about from now to 2035, when the governor has an executive office? order to ban, you know, the sale of internal combustion engines in 2035. So what happens to all those people who still own one? So when you still That's... bring these questions up, they don't have answers for them because they're focused on their aspirational goals, not on the details that go Absolutely. Uh, no question about it. We'll figure it out. Isn't a good enough answer. Let's do this, uh, uh, Kathy. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll throw it over to Krause. Uh, we'll have more from the Labor and Energy Show. Okay, good stuff, Jay doc Don't forget, if you miss any of today's show on the Labor and Energy Show or of the interview today, you can download the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Just search the Labor and Energy Show. Back in a moment. This is a Labor and Energy Action Alert. Did you know the Pennsylvania Water Resource Act, if passed, will charge Pennsylvania businesses for water usage integral to the operation of the businesses, many of which that provide PA residents with vital services? The expenses of charging for such water usage will be astronomical and may jeopardize the operations of the businesses themselves as well as jobs. Take action now. Subscribe to www.gov.net to track this legislation and call your PA state representatives and voice your opinion to oppose the Pennsylvania Water Resource Act. Quality PA businesses and good paying jobs depend on it. What's a boiler maker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit FuelingUSJobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. 
I'm back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Another week, another great guest, J. Doc, joining you. We'll keep it rolling along. This is the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. Thanks, Joe. Uh, yeah, we have a major announcement. It's my pleasure to announce the upcoming groundbreaking Energy Education and Awareness Zoom Conference, uh, which will be hosted by our Energy Education and Awareness Board. Uh, it's going to happen in April or May of two, uh, 2023. Uh, we'll have a date out in the next week or two. But it's going to bring together labor and energy leaders from across the nation as part of a major Zoom conference on educating the public, as well as our legislators, on the importance, the needs, and the facts about our traditional energy industries and resources in meeting America's energy needs in order for people and policymakers to form educated opinions and make better decisions in relation to the future of energy in America. So it's time to change the narrative, like our jobs, our industries, and our energy independence to pay, depend on it because they do. And we'll keep everybody abreast of that. Uh, a lot of great things happening. Uh, I'm ecstatic also uh, to, to obviously welcome everybody into the broadcast. Uh, our guest is Kathy Reheis-Boyd, uh, who is the president and CEO of the Western States Petroleum Association. WISPA, if you will, uh, a fantastic conversation uh, Kathy, let's let's, if you will, let's focus on a discussion about California state laws, policies uh, and the politics impacting refining fuel costs in the state, which are issues that have been in the forefront and the center in the news, uh, obviously. Um, first, if 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 you will tell our remind our listeners uh, how the West Coast gets its fuel. Yeah, absolutely. And from I'll touch a little bit on the refining side and the production side. And on the refining sure. side with our refineries, you know, I've been in this business now so long, Joe, that I was here when we had 19 refineries and now we have 10 and we're soon to have wow. eight. And why are we soon to have eight? Because two of those refineries in the Bay Area are switching to renewable diesel, which is what the state wants. It's a good thing. But unfortunately, when you do that, you limit your gasoline production. And so when you have a state who is um, we're, we're, we're very thinly balanced, right? We consume about 1.8 million barrels a day and we, we refine about 1.4 million barrels a day. So we're, we're very thinly balanced. And so we are susceptible, very susceptible to supply disruptions. And that can be, of course, from things like wars, obviously. It can also be just from um, some of the state and, and government regulations. And we are very focused at the moment, as, as you rightfully noted, at the price at the pump. Uh, in California. And what we continue to remind um, the public and the legislature is the first $1.18 of every gallon that is consumed goes to federal, state, and local taxes and climate programs. So you got you got like 54 cents right off the top that goes to state excise tax, 18 cents to federal excise tax, 11 cents goes to the low carbon fuel standard, 23 cents goes to cap and trade, 10 cents goes to sales tax, and then another two cents thrown in for underground storage tanks. Now, we're not saying those programs aren't meritorious, but, but that is part of the reason why California's gas prices are higher than the rest of the average of the United States. And so... We always try to, you know, again, bring that foundation forward and then talk about the regulations and how difficult it is to do business here in the state and the costs associated with that. I mean, we have an isolated market in California. There's no pipelines that bring product or crude oil into the state. We've got the toughest standards regulatory programs. We have the, the most unique blend. I would say the cleanest burning gasoline on the planet is made here. So in and very few other places make it. And so, again, uh, a very delicate market. 
We're losing refining capacity. We haven't we have not invested in infrastructure or permitting. We've got lack of gas stations and actual cities that are banning gas stations in California, which brings less Incredible. competition, increases prices. And and I, I've worked a lot with the California Energy Commission over the years. And of course, they are the ones responsible for California's fuel supply. And I went back and looked at three or four of their analysis in 2005, 2009, 2011, and all of their analysis said, we need to permit and construct new infrastructure to import, store, and distribute fuels. We need to make sure we don't have reliance on foreign oil imports because it puts our state's fuel supply at risk. And we have not invested in our infrastructure and our energy security is at more risk than it ever has been. And guess what? We haven't done any of those things. It's, I, I, when, I, when I sit here and I listen to that, and, and let me get one thing straight, and, and it drives Krause crazy when I say this, but I'm a labor Democrat, okay? I'm a Dem, okay? And, but, and I say that because I feel like a lot of times one of the issues we've, we, when we talk about <coughs> having this conversation is, um, you know, we want to bring a voice, a trusting voice to, to, to people who uh, – uh, are, you know, are Democrats, but even, you know, extreme left Democrat, whoever you are. OK, because too, too often this has become a political issue and people have um, are, you know, made this. You know, you, you, you hear one of the things we don't do on this broadcast, Kathy, is we you know, we've had a lot of great guests, but we don't allow anybody, you know, like we don't we don't, you know, talk about uh oh, there's no environmental issues or you know or or you know anything too extreme i'll tell you why because it automatically shuts the left the left side or, or the right side off let me just say one thing when you think about people shooting themselves in the foot okay and making decisions that um are are, are so impactful okay we got involved in this fight uh you know from a really interesting area where we want we want to be a voice that people listen to and, and, and understand, hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm a relatable voice, okay? This is common sense stuff. I cannot imagine why we would shoot ourselves, uh, you know, in, in, in the foot and, let our, and have our general public support those policies. It's mind-boggling when I hear you talk about it. When I hear you talk about, uh, you, you, know, the, the, you know, the regulations and, you know, when you talk, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, what's going on in, in regards to EVs. But what what is driving what is driving this, Kathy? Because it's and we'll talk about later during the broadcast. But this is not only in California, but California is so influential across the country. What is driving um, our political leaders to make these decisions? And and in California, you're the leader in the, in the movement there, um, and, and our general public to support these policies of shutting our own selves down. Yeah, no, and and it's it's an issue I think often about because I, I always try, and probably from my environmental background, and I have a lot of environmental friends still in the state that we talk about this all the time, you know, I try to put myself in their shoes, right? And I work a lot with the environmental justice community who has very legitimate and strong beliefs and concerns about public health and safety in their own communities sure. and who, who have probably not had a great relationship with the industry. And again, to which, you know, we've got to do a better job. We've got to collaborate and meet folks and understand what's important to them. I mean, it, it, no, it, it is, it is as an injustice we do when we walk into a community and, and, you know, explain why they should care about what we care about, why they should feel the way we do. 
And instead, we go in now and really say, you know, what's important to you? And then let's talk about what we do in this industry that can be important to you, that can impact your life, that can bring benefits to your life. And that's how we've got to approach it, Joe. We've just got to do a better job of communicating. And I, I, got, I don't, I mean, we try and we, we hope that they, you know, realize facts and science, but we've got to put it in terms that matter to them, not matter to us. And even things like, you know, why, you know, just to, to point to them, why did the governor decide to bring the Diablo power plant back on? Because we don't have enough electricity for the grid. Why are we asking right. for power, natural gas power plants to stay on? Same reason, we're not prepared. So then when you talk to the, the environmental justice community, you know, do, should we be prepared? Their answer is yes. Okay, so let's talk about how can we be prepared? You know, would you be interested in something more diversified that brings affordability but still meets the environmental goals? Is that something of interest to you? So as we get into those kinds of conversations, what happens is you don't shut down on either side. Like it's not just all about the economy or all about the environment. It's got to be a balance between the two. And it's got to open our minds to how each other are feeling so that we can find the common ground that we all know is there. It's all there. Well, it's interesting yeah. because, you know, one of the points of the show is to, 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 to introduce our, our uh, energy leadership to, uh, to the general public and to, and to put a face to the place. OK, there's stereotypes of big energy and, and, and greed and not caring about our environment. And, um, and people are making their decisions based on and not really. Hey, listen, I haven't met one person on our broadcast yet who've said, uh, they're against renewables, and uh, we're trying to shut that down. The whole, uh, there is a, a, a quote, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase um, John Bland, who was a labor leader here for the Boilermakers Union. But and we 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 got into this because uh, you know, listen, like I said, we're a, we're a labor show, and a lot of these our energy sector unions were getting uh, destroyed, and there's a lot of them, and so now we have an entire movement who you know who's you know, who's woken up and, 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 and at the end of the day, um, you know, we realize, so, so here's what John Bland said when we're talking about uh, our refineries getting shut down and a lot of our plants and a lot of the, the policies uh, really, you know, just decimating our industry. And that is, uh, you know, at, at what point, um, uh, you know, did it, did, did uh, we stop working together? Did, right. did politics and industry stop working together to solve problems and create solutions? I mean, when did it become us against them in regards to our uh, traditional energy resources uh, or us or them or renewables? Yeah. OK. I mean, the bottom line is, is that we either work together or, you know, inevitably speaking, we're all going to lose. Yeah. And so one of the things that we're trying to do, even with this broadcast, is to establish a trust and the knowledge. Let let me introduce people to Kathy Rehice Boyd and let's educate the public on the fact that we all want to work together. and. You talk about the details uh, of, of, of uh, a lot of the things that are going on. They're the one thing, the details are getting left out of a lot, uh, uh, of, a lot of these conversations. And it's just going to end up, you know, biting us in the butt. And we're all going to lose because of it. Yeah. And, you know, we, I often look at no one has the corner of wisdom. We certainly don't. We, we have a lot sure. of expertise and a lot of knowledge. And, and but what I'm, I'm finding, even in our recent work with the Latino community in California, what I've really found is how much I learn from from that from from that demographic, from what's important to them, from their lives, from the fact that they care about so many of our issues, and that affordability oh, yeah. is 
primary. And when I start talking about the types of innovations that this industry does, they are just blown away, you know, to say there is no other industry than ours that is putting more into renewables, alternatives, um, biofuels. Um, the innovation and problem solving of this industry is, is off the charts. And then we can demonstrate, it's not just words, like we have, I put together an innovations initiative that just catalogs all of the projects these companies and members are doing is astronomical. And it's in areas sure. of EV and lithium battery ion research and, and everything else that we've talked about. They're all over it. And I say, if it's not us, then who? I mean, we, we know, right? We know. We've, we've been doing this, I think, since horse and buggy, right? I think we've come a long way. So we have a lot of innovation to talk to folks about. And I think, Joe, what surprises them is how open we really are. We, we don't have horns on our heads. We're not, we're all about solving these very important, whether it's climate change or what have you, uh, you know, things on health and public safety, whatever it is, these companies are all about it. And we've just got to take that narrative back from those that like to paint us as, as evil, which is so far from the truth. Well, and it's interesting because you mentioned earlier, we talk about imports and I'm a regular guy and it, it, it just, drives me crazy when I think about um, the fact that we're we're going to shut up real real simple concepts okay and, and this is these are the things I want people to understand we're willing to shut ourselves down okay with our environmental standards that we meet on a daily basis here with the commitment of our uh, traditional energy communities uh, and a commitment to, to 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 also like Kathy just said support our um, to 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 to, to to support our renewable industries, okay? We can't have one without the other, okay? You can't have a, a wind turbine without oil, uh, you know, to cool the turbines, okay? Um, and then we'd be all be sitting here naked, okay? If we, you know, without our petrochemicals, okay? Five to 6,000 uh, products a day. Um, but at the end of the day, when you think about, um, you know, these, these discussions, we need to all be on the same page and understand these things so we can make informed decisions. Let's, you know, let's, let's, let's do this in a, in a, in a, a smart fashion, but it really drives me nuts when I, when, when, when I think about shutting ourselves down and importing the same products and resources that we just shut down, destroyed ourselves. And by the way, I don't think this is an exaggeration, Kathy, and I think you know that, is, is that we would we are, and many people would do it if they had a magic wand today, and importing the same products from overseas where their standards aren't nearly as high as ours. And at the end of the day, and I'm, I repeat that a couple times, and I'll tell you why, because it, it, it staggers me even to this day. What is our plan? What is, our, is the so-called plan? Um, for those standards overseas, uh, Kathy, in, in, in regards to, uh, you know, what, you know, what are, what are, what are, uh, you know, the talking heads saying about once we shut ourselves down, um, you know, we'll be able to get these same resources, you know, we're going to import them and they're going to do a better job than us. What, 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 what's going on there? Yeah, exactly. And, and the reason they don't talk about that is because there is no good answer. I often say, you know, if it, so our plan, our plan, supposedly our plan, is to shut down all production in the state of California, yeah. shut mm -hmm. down all refining, and therefore, because we are isolated market, it has to come from marine tankers 30 to 40 days away, if we can even get them, 
from places yeah. who don't have our standards. So basically, we've increased greenhouse gases, we've lost jobs, yeah. we've lost revenues, and we've increased the cost of producing fuel to every consumer in the state. And then I say, right. and whose plan is this? Like, right. like, what plan is that? The world is, a lot of the world is the Wild West, and we're going to set the path like they're going to follow us. We only have seven minutes, so I want to uh, go in this particular area. Uh, obviously, the, the, the EV mandates, okay? Let's get into that quick discussion uh, because, the, you know, California's got a plan to ban gasoline-powered vehicles by 2035, okay? And the rest of the country, at least 12 or 13 states, automatically opt into that situation. Um We've had Siddharth Kara on this program recently, okay, talking about, um, you know, what's going on in the cobalt mines, uh, the destruction it would take to, to even mine for the critical minerals, even if we could do it. By the way, no one's against electric vehicles. Let them come into the market naturally. Uh, they're luxury vehicles, fantastic. But these decisions are being made in California. Uh, and, and, and Governor Newsom and, and, and all of his policies, what? I mean, I'm an iron worker. OK, and, I, and I'm a regular guy walking down the street and I understand that these are unrealistic. What's going on there where people would be willing to shut themselves down? OK, lay a mandate down, destroy investment in, in refining in the process and so many other traditional energy resources um, for, 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 for doing a plan that may never come true. Yeah. And I think what you know, it's it's amazing, but people have this view that. Oh, oh, it'll be figured out. Like 2035, you know, oh, that's 2035. I mean, they'll figure it out by then. And so what yeah. we bring to the table is, you know, 35% of, news, of new electric vehicle sales by 2026. 2026, it's 2023. Right. I mean, we're not right. talking 15 years, 20 years from now. This is around the right. corner. And we are nowhere near, nowhere near on the infrastructure needed to even support that, let alone 100% by 2035. Well, you're driving you're, you're driving up a main road and you see six ports for electric cars, okay? Uh, you know, I, I mean, uh, you know, every 10 miles, okay? And that's, yeah. in, that's in our neighborhood. That's, that's in Philly. But it, it's like being in the twilight zone. I'm not all that smart, but I have a little, you know, intellect and, 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 and a little understanding. I mean, who's smoking? Who's smoking this stuff? It's crazy. <laughs> you know, and we've got 36 million vehicles in the state. So think about think about how many charging stations you need. And and I think the other thing, and people are beginning to get this, Joe. It you know, and I'm not saying in the future the costs won't come down, but these are pretty high costs, and that are going to be felt by a lot of the middle and low income folks. And in 2022, we we took a look at this the other day. In 2022, which was just last year, 72 percent of the EV EV sales in California were Tesla, BMW, Porsche, Mercedes, yeah. Audi, Mustang. These are pretty high-priced vehicles. We don't have the grid reliability. We don't have the charging network. And, sure. and it doesn't fit the needs of every California in every geographic location. And again, this is where the plan, you have to, I mean, if you were going to really plan this, right, you, would, you right. would ask yourself all these questions. You'd put like a, you know, if you can envision like a big, butcher block paper around a room and you'd say, okay, here we are today and here we want to go. So what are all of the barriers that keep us from doing that? And then let's plan to achieve this goal, but do it in a way that makes sense versus just putting the goal out there and no yeah. plan. Well, what it does is, uh, is, is it, 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 it's not just, uh, you know, what, what they're doing when they talk about these mandates is 
it, it, it impacts investment in other areas of energy. And it, it's not, this is not without harm. It's not, I, I believe, not without irresponsibility. Talk about that. Well, and, and think about the message to the businesses. I mean, certainly the oil and gas business, but any business in the state with this kind of message of, of, of deterring investment. Okay, right. we want you to invest and make sure all of this works. But, oh, by the way, our plan is to get rid of you by 2035. Yeah. And, well, oh, you know what's way, interesting? Our, yeah, is to get rid of all production in the state. But, but we want but, you to keep it, producing. No, yeah, exactly. And But let me just say this. It's, it, but it's a, this is a, a layered approach. They're create, I mean, you talk about mandates, you talk about taxes, you talk about all types of, um, you know, you, the RFS friends, uh, you, you talk about all kinds of legislation. They're, it's, 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 it's hitting us uh, from, uh, you know, uh, all, all points. And it's, and it's really, uh, you know, it, it's, it's sending a bad message, I believe. And, and, and by the way, we all care about the environment, okay? We all care about energizing our, our, our country. We have the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest uh, traditional energy uh, industry in the world, and we're not working together. I'd like to ask you, um, if, if you will, Kathy, because um, as, as, we only have about a, a minute and a half, um, if you would, as, as we close the broadcast, talk about the things that, that you're proud of, of your members, that make you the proudest um, you know, uh, about your members and what they do every day to energize uh, Californians uh, and our country. Yeah. And, and I would say, first off, they never lose sight of the core job to provide reliable, affordable energy every day to everyone all the time. Like that, that is that is like number one. OK, no matter what form it takes, that's number one. But while they're doing that, Right. They are looking five, 10, 20 years into the future, and they're exploring every kind of energy source that makes sense to make sure as a society we can continue on into the future and reduce our carbon footprint every step of the way. And there are so many examples of where they're doing that, that I am so proud of the innovation, the problem solving, the desire to collaborate, all of the things that they're accused of not doing. I see them do every day. And so Absolutely. I want to get out there and tell that story. And, and in a way that, that we're not just saying, hey, look at us. This is about, look at, this is serious stuff. And we're in it with you. We're not against, we're not against any of it. It's, but the, it is the how and the, and, the, and the specifics about how we go about this that absolutely matter. Or we will bring unintended consequences on the very consumers we're trying to serve, which I know is not not anybody's desire. So I always say, Joe, there is so much more that unites us than divides us. We have to have a balance between environment and, and energy and, and social equality. All of that has to be in balance. And in my entire career, what I have found is if there is a balance between those elements, we have a good policy. The only time that gets out of balance is when we're too far in the pendulum on one side or the other. But when we are looking at all of those simultaneously, we will get there. I have no doubt we will get there. Absolutely. Kathy Reheis Boyd, president and CEO of the Western States Petroleum Association, WISPA. Can't thank you enough for being our guest on the broadcast. Uh, well done. Fantastic job. Thank you, Joe, very much. It's our pleasure. I uh, want to throw it back to Krause. Fantastic show, Joe. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with Doc and Krause. We thank PBF Energy. We thank all of our partners. And we thank our special guest today. On behalf of my co-host, Doc. I'm Joe Krause.
See you next time, everybody. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. The Eastern Atlantic State's Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit FuelingUSJobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Thanks for listening to tonight's labor and energy special. You can help. Call your congressperson and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre recorded.